Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it is so good to be able to be together online. Um, I want to ask you, and if you have the ability to chat, I'm going to welcome you to do that right now. How many of you like to be right? You just put that right in the chat if that's the case with you. How many feel that you usually are? I know it's a heavy burden to, to carry, isn't it? Now, my wife Denise, she likes to be right. And she feels that she usually is. But true confession here, so do I. So you can imagine, with the last name of Khan, when two people who like to be right and feel that they usually are can get into some of these conversations together, there can be real conflict that takes place. But you don't have to be married to be able to experience that. Two people, both who like to be right and feel that they are, well, that brings us to that which Jesus has for us today that I don't think could be any more timely or any more helpful and practical, which is our need for grace-saturated unity. Now, if you're at home, wherever you're at, if you want to just say that once with me, grace-saturated unity. We're going to start with a true story that was calling for grace-saturated unity in it. In Philippians chapter 4, and if you happen to be with us last month, We were in the book of Philippians. It's a series that God invites us to be able to experience joy, Jesus, purpose, and peace in new ways, in deep ways, in real ways. And if you happen to miss that, it's online. I invite you into that. But I think you're going to find this great saturated unity just dovetailing perfectly with each of these as well. But in chapter 4, verse number 2, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. I plead with Euodia... I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Think about this with me. The situation was when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, the Philippian churches, All the churches of Philippi and the region there would have come together and listened to this letter. So they're on the edge of their pews listening to this word from God that's being given to them when all of a sudden they get to chapter 4, verse number 2, and Paul is calling out Euodia and Sentiki. Talk about an awkward moment that's going on or one that a pin could drop in. In our situation, it could be something like this. If we were to gather all of Fox River together in one arena, you know, thousands and thousands of people, and I were to say, Pastor Rob, would you stand up? Pastor Bill, would you stand up? Pastor Rob, Pastor Bill, our teaching teaching pastors of ours here at Fox River. And I were to say to them in front of everybody, Bill, I plead with you. Would you please set aside the division between you and Rob and act with Christ-likeness toward him? Rob, I'm pleading with you. Would you please act 
act in a Christ-like way toward Bill, everyone's attention would be front and forward, wouldn't it, at that point? If Bill was willing to do so, as well as Rob, if they were willing to then set aside those that which two right people were thinking that was pulling them apart, and I had said to them, Bill, I know that you love Jesus. Rob, I know that you love Jesus. You are both pastors of ours here. And with you practicing grace-saturated unity with each other, would Fox River be better off? You can drop that in the chat if you'd like. Would Bill and Rob be better off? And would their families be better off? For sure, right? And if they wouldn't, if they let that divisiveness continue, then they certainly would not be. We don't know if um, Euodia or Santiki were pastors in the church of Philippi. We do know that they were high-profile leaders there and that everybody knew them. Paul named them as co-workers of his. In Philippians, he names his co-workers Timothy, Epaphrodites, Clement. These were people that everybody knew who they were. They knew what they'd done for the cause of Jesus in that area. And Paul was bringing them back to this, this that he had learned and continued to try to then put before each and every follower of Jesus that everyone wins when grace-saturated unity is practiced. Let me say that again. Everyone wins when grace-saturated unity is practiced. Well, actually, technically, there's one exception to that. Satan doesn't win when grace-saturated unity is practiced. Though the converse is true. Everyone loses. Satan wins if grace-saturated unity isn't practiced. Satan's greatest victory, hear me, Satan's greatest victory is when there is division within the church, division among Christ followers. The church's greatest strength, the church is at its best when grace-saturated unity is being practiced there. How do we know this? Because Jesus himself prayed for this. I'm going to go to the last prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. It's found in John chapter 17. If you happen to have a Bible or if you're going to pull that up on your phone, this entire chapter is Jesus' prayer to his Father for his disciples. And we pick it up in verse 20, and Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus is saying this, Father, I'm not praying just for my disciples here right now. I'm praying for every follower of mine that will ever be through the message of the gospel. Jesus is praying specifically here for us. Here's his prayer. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on. I've given them the glory that you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me 
and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus was saying this, the greatest apologetic there is, the greatest answer to the question, is the gospel really true? Jesus said, is when believers, Christ followers are in unity, they're practicing grace, saturated unity with each other. Maybe just an hour earlier, Jesus had given a new command to his disciples. Here's what he said. John 13, he said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as or just as I have loved you. Get this. By this, Jesus said, all will know that you are my disciples in that you have love one for another. Do you know what the proof is that you are really a disciple of Jesus? It's grace-saturated unity that's being put into practice. The church is at its best when we are practicing this love one for another and acting in unity with each other. Kristen's story is really quite powerful and moving, and I'm going to let her share that with us now. Well, I'm Kristen. Um, I am a mother of four adopted children, and I've been in the Navy for 19 years now. I have a background in health and fitness, and I love encouraging women. I love speaking. I love writing, and I just um, I have a passion for sharing the gospel with, with other ladies. I have some pretty amazing children. They range in age from 8 to 13. We adopted two sets of siblings over the course of about two and a half years. I unexpectedly and kind of tragically became a single mom of these four children. I do struggle to ask for help when I need it. I was raised by a single mom and I just, I watched her do everything on her own. Well, there's a lot of pride you have to get rid of to ask for help and so I wasn't, wasn't necessarily operating in a way of being humble. When things changed, I don't think I knew what to ask for because everything just kind of stopped. And there was a lot of grief, um, a lot of shame, a lot of change. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know what to ask for. And I almost didn't even need to because the church just stepped in. People just started showing up. Gift cards would show up. Our house was painted. Our vehicle was repaired and taken care of. Just these needs that needed to be filled that I probably would not have had the courage to ask. And they were just taken care of. The aftermath of what my kids have been experiencing is a natural feeling of somewhat abandonment, not feeling loved, feeling very broken, trauma, fear, just a lot of um, heavy feelings. And I, I remember after every time we would have a meal dropped off or needs taken care of, um, or if we would go grocery shopping and I would pay with gift cards, I would let them know, you know, God is taking care of us. He is so good. And I would make sure that they knew how much we were loved. And I just remember my oldest daughter just looking and she goes, Mom, people love us. Families and lives can be changed when the church comes together. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kristen. And thank you, Fox River. When you step up and in love, you become Jesus to those who are here and in our community right now. There has never been as great a time that we need grace-saturated unity as it is right now. Because there's never been a time 
that we have been as polarized inside the church, outside the church as we are right now. Example? Well, on November 3rd, there is going to be an election, which, let me pause for a second. If you haven't voted yet, it is your stewardship, God-given stewardship to do so. So you need to vote. Please hear me. You need to make sure that you vote if you haven't done so yet. Now, when the vote is taken and the ballots are finally um, counted, we're going to find that about half of the people are going to be sad and they are going to be mad. And the divisions are going to be greater than they have been before. What do we need? If Euodia, if the problem was that she was of one political party and had that sign in her yard and Sentiki had the other political sign in her yard, and that's the reason that they said, we're not going to work with each other. I mean, we may be both leaders in the church, but if that's what they think uh, politically or that's what they think, then I'm just going to do it my way without them at all. So easy, isn't it? So easy to fall into this with our social media. I mean, we just need to get right on the front, on the top of each of our um, pages. GSU, Grace Saturated Unity, to make sure that that's how we are interacting with other people. The COVID has brought out a divisiveness in us. I mean, you have the people, followers of Jesus, and some who feel they are. And they are passionate about their feeling, whether they are, you know, I think everybody should be in a mask and practice social distancing and others feel like that is not something that, you know, really needs to be done or has to be done. And both of them feel like they're right. But you know what? They're letting that keep them. In fact, they're ready to go to war with each other. And they're missing that that which unites us, which is Jesus. That's what Paul is telling Yodi and Sintiki. That which unites us is so much greater than whatever it is that might be dividing us right now. That we feel that we are right in holding the position that we, that we are. We, Fox River, we're a multi-generational church. And with multi-generational, multi-ethnic. But we just think about generations. We've got Gen Z, we've got Millennials, we've got Gen X, we've got Baby Boomers, we've got Greatest Generation. Now for you to ask them, because each of them see things from their unique generational perspective, are you right the way you're looking at this? I mean, who's right? They're going to say this. Whatever generation they're in, like this is the right way, or this is the better, the best way to be able to look at that. It is so easy, isn't it, for us just to be able to move from I'm right and I am pulling away from you in this. Grace-saturated unity. I think this is really important for us just to make sure that we've um, got clarity on. Is not a unanimousness. It's not a unanimity. In other words, grace-saturated unity isn't everybody looks alike, acts alike, and thinks alike. In fact, quite the opposite. Grace-saturated unity, the very need for it, is because there is to be unity with diversity. Different ways, different thoughts, but commonality, unity, again, in Jesus. 
There's actually four requirements for grace-saturated unity to take place in us. I think you'll pick up on these real quickly, but um, you might want to write them down. Um, Great conversation that you'll have with family, friends, maybe some in your small group a little bit later. The first requirement for grace-saturated unity would be Jesus. As we started out reading in that passage, Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 4, we would read these words. Verse number 2, when Paul said, I plead with you. Now, Paul could have commanded, he could have ordered. He didn't take that. He pleaded, Euodia Sintiki, be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, if we think that could be a little bit fuzzy, like did they really know what he was talking about right there? Yes, because just a page, er, a page earlier, he said this, Philippians 2, verse number 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, that's the exact same word that he said, be of the same mind in the Lord, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, this is what I want you to do. In all of your relationships, I want you to think about them as Jesus does, and I want you to interact or act toward them like Jesus does. See, grace-saturated unity requires this oneness that I would have with Jesus. In other words, I've opened my life up. I've received him as my Savior. And from that oneness, from the grace that I've received from Jesus, it's my extending of the grace I've received to you. Jesus' grace to me, to you. So if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, you really can't give what you ain't got. <laughs> here's what, here's what, I, what I mean by that. You haven't been able to fully experience the grace of God that comes when he forgives you of your sins, when he brings you into relationship, not because of anything you've done. In fact, he does it in spite of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection. And with an unmerited favor in an undeserved way, he gives to us everything that we need and more. That is his grace in us. And if you haven't trusted him yet, I plead with you to trust Jesus today, to come to him for what he's done for you in the cro- on the cross and in his resurrection. Now there's a second requirement. First one is Jesus. The second, one, second requirement would be to forbear with each other. If we, if we read down just another couple of verses when um, Paul's talking to uh, Santiki here and Yodia, he says this, Philippians 4, 5, let your forbearing spirit be known to all. Now, I just, I love this word. The Greek word is epiaikos, which really does absolutely nothing for me. <laughs> but the translation of what it means, the English word to forbear, it means this. It means to overlook another's idiosyncrasies. Don't you love it? The idiosyncrasies that some some people might have? I mean, 
Can you think of an idiosyncrasy that you have? I know that might be difficult, but if you want to chat one out, put in some of the idiosyncrasies of, thing, of people that you see around you. Maybe some people are just like, they're loud and they're always in your face, or some people are, are laid back, some people are always, it seems like they're always on their phone even when they're talking to you that way. Some people are gum chewers and gum poppers that are, you know, that's taking place that way. Some people just like, they always want to touch you or they're talking with their hands that way. An idiosyncrasy is not a sin. It's just something unusual. It may be something that's kind of, you know, um, off-putting a little bit, but Paul's not talking about, you know, just ignore somebody else's sin. But the things that could easily separate us, those are the ones he said, I just want you to forbear with each other. In fact, these are words that need to be printed in bold on every marriage license. You need to forbear with each other. Third requirement if we are going to experience, if we are going to practice grace, saturated unity, it's going to be love. Think about the last time that you had the choice. Now, you can chat this if you want, but the last time you had the choice to be right or to be loving, which did you choose? This matter of being right and feeling that we're right all the time, it can really work, work against us. I've got a natural sponge right here. But if I just take being right, or we'll say the truth right now, and I were to come and to apply that to you, this sponge, it is an unsaturated sponge. It's a dry sponge. It is just abrasive. No matter where, no matter how I apply it, it just cuts, it scratches, it scrapes. It makes somebody else want to, pull away that way. But you take the same sponge and saturate it and that which was hard and abrasive becomes soft. In fact, it's used for both healing and comforting that way. This is the difference that grace with truth makes in our lives. Jesus was that person of grace and truth. He practiced that grace-saturated unity continually with others. What Jesus did was this. He treated another person in the same way that he wanted to be treated. And that's what he told to us as well. We need to continue to make sure that what we're doing and everything we're saying is saturated with grace. Which brings us to the fourth requirement and I alluded to it there. And that is that our words are words that build up. You probably don't need a, a scripture passage from this. But it's interesting that God kind of underscored this. How we talk, how we interact with each other with these words. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But instead, only that which is helpful for the building up of others. If we think about what comes out of our mouth or what comes out of our fingertips, our communication with others, and if our guideline is, is it going to build up? Is it going to help? And if not, then it's going to lack grace. And we just want to pull back from that. Because if we choose that which is unwholesome, that which is harsh, that which tears down, then we are ignoring the grace-saturated unity that we could be practicing with them. I just want you to imagine, what would your home be like if grace-saturated unity was being practiced there? 
What would your neighborhood, what would your workplace, what would your church be like with grace-saturated unity? Jesus does more than imagine it. He prayed for it. He sees it. He said, this is possible, this is life-changing, and this is what I want for you. No more of letting the devil win in our lives. But everyone wins. Bottom line, everyone wins when grace-saturated unity is practiced. And one of the reminders that Jesus gives to us, it's communion. And if you have, you've gotten earlier as you were asked, some bread or a cracker and some juice, I want you to take this out right now. And I want you to listen how Jesus connects this with what he wants practiced in our lives. This reminder that greater is that which is in us, Jesus, than whatever it is that be, could be dividing us there. 1 Corinthians 11. These words, and the words we often speak here at communion, but I want them to be, again, fresh with us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this, I want you to remember me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, this cup is a new covenant made through my blood for you. That's what Jesus has for us in communion. What's important to point out is just a couple verses before that. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 17, there was this strong word of admonition that Paul was speaking again. And he always would speak these words in love, but he knew if they weren't heeded, it was going to be a problem. He said, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Your coming to church, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, is doing more harm than it's doing good. What? In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and I believe it. Grace-saturated unity wasn't taking place. And these divisions, people right in their own eyes, and their own minds, were not letting that which united them, that which was greater, be the final in their life, but rather that which separated them, that's what they were acting on. And just after Jesus' spoken words come this, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so with bread and cup in hand, let's ask ourselves, is there a Euodia and Sintiki situation in our life? Two people, both of them that love Jesus, but they're not connected. They're not together right now because they've let something, some issue divide them, become divisive with them. If you can think of one, then we need to repent before we eat and drink. If we are not forbearing, if we are not acting in love, if our words are not building up, then we ask God for his forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus made possible here. 
And when we've done that, as we eat and drink, we not only remember what Jesus has done for us, but we remember what he's praying for us and what he wants for us and for this undeniable proof of the gospel and the love of God to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. That is inspiring. Would you eat with me the bread? And let's drink in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. I want to pray together. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus, I want to invite you with me now to open yourself up to his great grace, his saving grace, his life-changing grace in your life. Thank you, Jesus. You're the one that modeled unity. You're the one that told us it's possible. You're the one that continues to pray for it. And it begins with our coming to you and receiving grace and that which will unite us with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so for the one that's here, and they in sincerity ask you now, Jesus, for the forgiveness you made possible on the cross, for the salvation you made possible in your resurrection, to become your child, to receive you now. Even as they do that, I pray that you will, that you will work a unique and wonderful working in their lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you trusted Jesus as your Savior today, we're just rejoicing with you. And I'd ask you that you'd put that in the chat or that you would just raise your hand right now as an indication of that. I want to leave us with this blessing of God that comes right out of the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 133, verse number one. You'll see the words here. You can read them aloud with me. But hear these words. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.